Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others in the way that Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listen in. So regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. As you all know, I don't know if you guys know this, but Lent is coming to an end very soon. Um, and what that means for all of us is that um, we're going to be have to, having to spend Easter at home. But through this time of confusion, just um, I pray for patience in all of us um, that we would still be able to wrestle through this and that we'd be able to contend for our own faiths. Right now is a time where it is so much easier for us to um, rely on the news and rely on um, what we can gather and what we can garner for our livelihoods. But at this time, as we stand in corporate worship, thank God that we can still do corporate worship and worship together at the same time in one space. But um, yeah, at this time, as we do corporate worship together, I just pray that we would be in a heart where we can still engage in Holy Week. Um, it's a really busy week for me, but I'm still going to try and um, flush out one devotional at the very least. Um, so that's so that's things that you can be keeping an eye out for on the website as well for those of you who might need um, more devotionals to look through in this time. Um, we're continuing through almost at the end of our sermon series. Um, and today we're actually going to be speaking on John chapter 14. So if you guys can, if you guys have a device on you or anything on you, um, we're going to be going through John chapter 14. And we'll be starting from chapter 14, verse 1. I am reading, as I always am, from the ESV, the Extra Spiritual Version. Um, but you guys can read through whatever you need. I actually think that it's better to understand. It's, it's what it's easier to understand more clearly through the NRSV or the NIV. So if that's in front of you, if you have access to that, you should open that up. John chapter 14, verse one through nine. Um, Obviously, we can't rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word right now, but we hold it to the same amount of reverence because it is worthy um, to be glorified and worshipped. John chapter 14, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for your holy and perfect word. We thank you, Lord, that you reveal yourself to us in this time. Lord, I pray that you would unveil to us what is our fear, what is our anxiety, that you would unveil to us the ways in which we seek out what we expect you to do in our lives. God, I pray that this would be a time where your church can seek out your presence more than anything, not what you can do for us, not what you can heal, not how, not how much you can heal us, how much you can keep us safe in this time, but God, that we would be a church that seeks out your presence knowing that there is nothing greater than you. So Father, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that only your words are spoken out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today we'll be speaking on, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's the title of this sermon. And the main idea for all of you guys um, is Jesus is the only way out when everything is against you. Jesus is the only way out when everything is against you. Now let's talk about first, we, before we talk about how Jesus is the only way out, let's talk about when everything turns against you. Before I go into the context of this passage, I want to ask you, what do you think is the way to a happy life? Maybe it's the success of your children. Maybe it's your own vocational success. Maybe it's marriage, finding the right person, Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. What is your understanding of a good life? What is your means of happiness? For a lot of us, we might say God, but in what we spend our most of our time pursuing, just in the proportion of our days, like if we have 24 hours, if we're spending maybe the most amount of time in our schoolwork or in our work or in our vocation, that probably means that that is what we believe is the most urgent way to happiness or contentment or stability. And through these things, we see what our stabilities and what our comforts are. My question for you is, what do you find the most comfort in during this time where all our comforts and all that we find security in is stripped away from us? What do you find comfort in? You can be mulling on that for a little bit. I'm just going to continue through right through the context of this chapter. Um, when we when it's taught in Sunday school or Bible school, it's like there's... I. I almost sang like a Sunday school song for, for praise because it's like, there's a song that's like, I am the way and the truth. Maybe it's old. It's probably old, actually. Probably most of you guys don't know it, but there are basically <laughs> Sunday school like jingles and rhymes to help us, uh, to help little children to memorize the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's usually seen to be a positive thing. But the context of this chapter is actually really scary. In verse, in chapter 13, we've Israel and um, Israel is in the midst of Passover and Jesus has just done the Passover feast with his disciples. This is within the last 24 hours before Jesus is arrested. So this passage happens right after they've eaten Thursday night. Jesus gets arrested within hours of the feast. So if you can think 7 p.m. is dinner and they have their Passover feast together. Jesus looks at Jesus, washes the disciples feet. 
He looks at Judas and he says, go do what you need to do. Judas goes to betray him. And Peter and Jesus and Peter talk about, they, the disciples start talking meaningless chatter about who is the greatest disciple and like how Peter says, and then Peter says like, I'm going to be loyal to you, Jesus. And then Jesus says, but you're going to betray me three times. That's actually the verse right before John chapter 14. So this is post-dinner, pre, pre-Gethsemane um, and arrest. It's within hours, guys, because Jesus gets arrested in the early morning, in the, in the AMs. And this is a time of peak tension, a time of peak anxiety. Some of the disciples are already starting to panic. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus getting killed is a matter of time. And then at that, at this point, Jesus starts to speak plainly that he is in fact going to die. The disciples, when they come with Jesus into Jerusalem through the triumphant entry, which is technically today, Palm Sunday, um, the disciples are thinking Jesus will keep us safe. There is no person greater than Jesus. Of course, if we're with Jesus, then we'll be okay. And so they follow Jesus into danger zone, AKA Jerusalem, where everybody is out to kill him because he's speaking such crazy things, but doing such amazing deeds. And they follow him into Jerusalem and they do the Passover feast only to, only to hear Jesus say, I'm going to die. So they're at a point of great, great panic. They're shuddering in fear. Maybe if you guys, or if I were in their shoes, we might even ask, why would you do this to us, Jesus? Why would you lead us all this way for us to die here? Chapter 14, verse 1 starts with, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because Jesus senses their anxiety. That's why, like, if you read it, it, it just kind of sounds like, Oh, let not your hearts be troubled. It sounds like it's coming out of the blue, but it's actually that Jesus is reading their panic. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In the original language, when the same verb is used for two different objects, it's equating. It's called appositional, and it means you know, when you put it side by side, it means the same thing, kind of like transitive property in geometry. And Jesus is saying that he is like the Father, that he is the same as the Father. Believe in the Father. Believe also in me. And it implicates Jesus and God as the as and God the Father as the same object of faith. In fact, this whole chapter, chapter 14, links the two. But if you can understand where the disciples might be at, the walls might feel like they're closing in. Um, and Jesus has already said, I am going to die. Anything that comes out of Jesus's mouth, the disciples know it's going to happen. So when Jesus says, when Jesus himself says, I am going to die, the disciples know that that's final. And at that point, it might feel like Jesus saying, believe, let not your hearts be troubled. It's like a small sprinkling. And it might feel like you've trusted someone all this while and you've walked right into a dead end. But I trusted you, God. And that 
it kind of reminds me of the situation of COVID. It kind of reminds me of what our situation might be like now. We're doing everything. We went to church. We've done all the right thing. We've crossed our T's. We've dotted our I's. But what happens when you're in danger? What happens when you're just struggling? And it has nothing to do with what you can do. The disciples might feel like Jesus ran them up a dead end, ran them up a wall. And at that point, there's probably not much that Jesus can say that can comfort them. But Jane, though, if this was going to put everybody in danger, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus take them into Jerusalem if it was going to put everybody in danger? And the answer to that question is in the fact that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you can imagine, in the midst of, there, there, there's no way the disciples are going to get out of this safe. They're scared out of their minds. And then Jesus goes on, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And he goes on to talk about his father's house with many rooms and preparing them for his disciples before taking them. So Jesus says, you know, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And he talks about how he's going to prepare these rooms for his people, for the kingdom of God. And says, don't you think I will take you to them? Don't you think I will take you to your father's house as a way to comfort them? Now, this language is actually Jewish eternal temple language. Um, it's kind of, it's like revelations, but for the Jews, like on the last day, there's going to be an eternal temple and like many rooms. So like the house with rooms, you, any kind of imagery like that with a building is actually like temple language. So immediately off the bat, you realize that this is eschatological. It's last day language. It's, it's rapture language. Um, And there is a temple in Jerusalem at the time. Now for Jesus to go into the temple of Jerusalem right now, that would mean certain death. And so Jesus talks about this new and perfect temple that he will bring the disciples to. It almost sounds like a situation, a circumstance, right? And the disciples are scared. Because it sounds almost as though Jesus is going to take them from this situation and bring them into a better situation. And Thomas speaks out. He says, Lord, you know, when you read it here, it's like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we find the way? But it's actually like a lot worse. Thomas is like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. You keep saying you're going somewhere. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He speaks in desperation. Thomas speaks in desperation and panic because Thomas had trusted God all this time. And now Jesus is saying that he's going to leave. And Thomas is in a lot of fear, a lot, a lot of fear. I relate with Thomas a lot here because it almost sounds like Jesus is going to lead us into a better situation, right? Jesus is almost like saying, don't worry, don't worry. We're going to get to this place. Thomas is like, okay, then how do we get there? To that, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
but through me. To clarify way, truth, and life, the primary thing that Jesus is saying is that he is the way. And the truth and life clarifies the way in this passage because in Jewish tradition, God's way was considered to be truth and life. To go even deeper, so it's basically like, if I, if you can imagine it visually, it's like way is at the top and then the pyramid is like truth and life. I am the way to the truth and the life. But truth is actually a characteristic of God in Jewish tradition. So it's a title for God as an authoritative representative and revealer of God. In the, in the Jewish tradition, truth is revealing. It's like light. Uh-huh. All the same themes in John. It's like light. Truth is a revealing thing. And Christ, or God, is the authoritative representative for and revealer of God. Revealer of God's glory, maybe revealer of our own hearts. So that's what truth is. And then life. Life is actually referring back to John chapter 1. I know, it just gets like that. It's just all like that, you know what I mean, in scripture. But this life in John chapter 14 is actually referring to when it says life in John chapter 1 verse 4. When Jesus says, you know, in the beginning was the word, in him was the light of men. Um, and this life is, is self, it's being, it's energy. So what this is saying, when it says, I am the way and the truth and the life, what this is saying is that Jesus is the one who brings them life and the very source of their ability to walk in God's way of truth. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Jesus is the one who brings them life. The very source of their ability to walk in God's way. So not only is Jesus the bringer of life, but he is the very means for their energy to walk in truth. And the connotation of way is very, very practical and it actually has a behavioral emphasis. Now, if we think from Thomas's situation, Thomas in this situation, he gets scared. He speaks out in doubt and he speaks out in fear. And he says, I don't know what to do. Take me to where it is better. But Jesus says, I, I am the source of life and the source of the ability to walk in truth. Show us the way. And Jesus says, I'm right here. It goes on and it talks about how, how Philip, Philip also says to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough. It's almost like a short-sighted misunderstanding. Show us the father then. If Thomas is talking about show us the means of how we're going to get ourselves into a better situation out of this peril, out of this danger, 
Philip is saying, at least show us the end, the end product, what we're going towards. If you show me what the end product is going to look like, maybe I can run in that direction. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen God. How can you say, show us the Father? We see here that the the disciples in this season of danger, they get really, really transient. And they get really, really, um, I would say almost physical and practical. So practical that their hearts have no room for what Jesus is doing. In fact, they were probably resenting God for doing all of this in their life. Thomas and Philip both started getting really practical to escape their situation. The reason why they're panicking It's because they're in danger and they want to flee the danger. And Thomas is asking, okay, show us how we can flee. And Philip is asking, show us where where we need to run to. So that no matter what, we can get there. But then to that, Jesus says, I am the bringer of life and the very means for you to walk in truth. It almost sounds like... In Korean, there's this thing called tongmunsodap. So it's like when you, when one person says something and then one person says com- something completely opposite and it's just like the conversation isn't happening. But we see their greater heart posture here. That when things get rough, we as people, we want to escape. And that we look to God to be a person that can help us escape our current and present danger. Now, I relate to that. When when I was really wrestling with the brokenness in my own family, um, I thought that running away was the best option. Um, Life with my mom was hitting ahead. I was really arguing with her every day. Um, Social workers were coming in and out of my home. My principal was willing to adopt me. And I told her that I needed to, I just needed to leave the house. I couldn't be in her presence anymore. I said, you either take me to your grandmother or I'm going to apply, or I'm going to talk to the social worker so that the principal can go ahead with the paperwork to be my foster mom. So my mom pushed it. That's a really mean thing for a daughter to say. Um, But my mom let me go to my grandma's place and I lived there for a while. Um, Because my instinct when things got rough in the home was to escape my situation. Later on when I I came to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, um, I realized, you know, everyone goes through, I don't know if you guys experience this, it happens in friendships and it happens in relationships. Everyone goes through this kind of honeymoon phase. Right. Let's say you just become a best friend with somebody or let's say you just get into a relationship with somebody or you just get married. Like it's life is great. Like there's so much to do together. Um, you only see the good in this person. You just want to lift them up. And then once that honeymoon stage starts to fade, you start to see like how that person doesn't brush their teeth every day and that person doesn't wash the dishes and this person is not clean. They're just not clean. Or this person keeps spilling my secrets to the person next to her or something like that, right? 
and we figure out ways to love each other through them when the sparkles and the and the um, rose-tinted sunglasses they wear off and I remember when I was in my honeymoon phase with God, I was like, yes, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll give you a thousand yeses. Thank you for saving my life. You know, you are so real. You are so powerful. You know, I encountered you in such a way I can never go back. Right. And I had that honeymoon phase with God. And then as it's, as soon as it started to wear, Jesus started to say, so what about your family? And I was like, mm. <laughs> so like about that. Like, God, is it not enough that I'm saved? <laughs> Why do you got to, like, draw out the very issues and dangers or fears or situations in my life that I don't want to deal with? Jesus is just like, I want that. I want whatever it is about your family that you're holding on to. It was a very painful couple years of surrendering, of repenting, of forgiving, or trying to forgive, um, being, being exhausted and also replenished by God's grace and his mercy. And it was a very painful process of reconciling with my mom and my parent, my, my stepfather. But um, we, we, one thing that becomes clear is that when we follow God's way. When we walk in a relationship with God, sometimes he walks us into a hurricane of our lives in order for us to follow and, and receive himself. God had to lead me into the situation for things to get better, not just with my family, but with my relationship with God. And sometimes he leads us into painful situations or dark nights of our souls so that we can get to a point where we can follow in his truth and receive his life. Now, to take your attention away from what Jesus is doing here and put it back on the disciples. We see here that there are three disciples that are mentioned with like right before chapter four and in the first couple verses of chapter 14. Um, we see Peter who in chapter 13 was said to have to will that he will betray Jesus. And then in chapter 14 verses four to five and then seven and eight, it's Thomas and Philip. Two men that are panicked in fear for their lives. And one man that is so prideful in his devotion to God that he misses the blind spot in his heart that will lead him to betray God for the sake of comfort. Why would Jesus hold these disciples close to him if he knew that Thomas would doubt and Peter would betray him? Why would Jesus, why wouldn't Jesus bring in people that would believe in him more? How come Jesus still keeps these men close to him? Because even though Philip and Peter and Thomas may not have been fully ready or fully believing, 
They might be short-sighted, but Jesus knew that what he had for them was greater. And on top of that, he tried to calm them down. For the rest of this chapter, Jesus equates himself to the father. He says, this is the chapter where he says, you know, if you love me, you will, you will, you will do what I command. You will love one another by this. Everybody will see that you are my disciples. If you love one another, he says, you know, peace, I give you yet not as the world gives, but as I give, right? He promises peace. He equates himself to the father. This whole chapter is Jesus reassuring the disciples during a really tough time. And preparing them for his death that is to come. So we see here, Jesus has led the disciples into a situation. The disciples are panicked. They talk to him. They say, show us how to get out of this situation. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the lie. And then for the rest of the situation, Jesus promises hope and peace to his short-sighted, self-seeking disciples and reassures them of who he is. It's a very, very interesting chapter and it is definitely not lighthearted in the slightest. But there is a lot to take away from both the disciples' hearts and what Jesus is doing. When you feel like Jesus has led you to a dead end, What do you do? I'm asking this directly to you who's listening. When you who feel, when you feel like Jesus has led you to a dead end, what do you do? Do you curse the heavens? Do you tremble in fear? Does anxiety overtake you? Are you filled with resentment? What do you do when you feel like Jesus has led you into a situation? A lot of us, when we deal with suffering, with grief, especially in this time of of a, a pandemic, we might feel like Jesus has led us into something that is dangerous, that is painful, that is hard to deal with. Maybe some of us in our families feel like Christ has willingly led us into a situation that is painful. Maybe for some of you, your parents or your families are tested and tried due to always being together through this pandemic. And you might feel like Jesus has led you into a time of discord and disharmony. Maybe some of you feel like Jesus has led you into a time of sadness. Some of my friends whose entire families have contracted coronavirus back in New York um, while they were away, might feel also the same way. And we might not understand what Christ is doing here. But Christ's motivation was not to spare the disciples' lives, but to give them a place in the Father's house. He knew that even if it would be rough, this was the only way that they had to the Father. Even if it would be rough, he took them into the danger because their goal was comfort, but Christ's goal was himself. You understand? So the disciples' way was to comfort, was to wholeness and restoration. But Jesus' way was to himself. 
And Jesus knew that it might take them peril to get to him. And, and so we see that that's, it's like a strange dichotomy where sometimes God lets things happen in our lives because his goal is not to be our genie. It's not to be our vending machine. It's not to churn out solutions to our problems. The goal of Christ is to take us and bring us to himself. Riches, success, comfort. If you guys can think back to the question I asked you in the beginning, what do you think is the way to happiness? Riches, success, comfort. These things are not the way to happiness. Only Christ is. Some of us, when we think that God wants to save us, when, we, when Jesus says that he's going to take us from one situation and plop us into another, when he says that the Father's house has many rooms and he's going to take us there, when Jesus says, I give you peace, when Jesus says, I give you comfort, we might think that God wanting to save us is actually giving us peace in our situation, actually giving us comfort, making our situation better, making our situation more peaceful and more comfortable. That the goal of Christ is to keep us safe. That God might save us from our situation. But then when our life gets rougher, even though we've stayed close to God, we might think, oh, Jesus has left us. Here, Jesus kept the disciples close. And it might have seemed like danger. But this was also Jesus as the way to life. As the means to walk in God's way would lead them to himself. Because only God can lead us to himself. Only God can lead us to God. And Jesus' goal was not a better situation. But God. This situation... Whatever situation that we're in right now is not for us to be saved from, but to be used so that God's people will be led to himself. I'm going to say that one more time. Whatever situation that you feel like you're in, whatever anxiety, whatever panic, whatever confusion, whatever peril that you feel like you're in right now, that situation is not something for us to be saved from, but to be used so that God's people can be led to himself. Even if this whole pandemic went away. And even if we can go back into the streets every day and we can gather in our churches, it does not change the fact that riches, success, and comfort cannot save us. What we need is not an end to the pandemic, but it is Jesus. Jesus is the giver of life. Jesus is the source of everything. Now, of course, I would love for this pandemic to be lifted. I mean, my home ground, my stopping grounds are affected really terribly. Um, and a lot of people that I love their parents are contracted. They're in the ICU unit. And so I speak this not from a place of, not from a place of harshness or hardenedness, but from that place of pain and vulnerability. I say that this is not something that we need to be primarily freed from, but this is a situation for the church to use to be you to to be brought to to Christ for the church to be brought to Christ that is the top priority of God 
It's not that you can go to school again or go to work again or go wherever you need to go again. The priority of Christ is for you to be brought into the Father's house. But the way is not always easy. Because we need to shed our own desires and dreams if they're not aligned with God. Now, God loves your dreams. God loves your desires. God has planted and made you all exactly the way that you are because he loves that. He loves you guys just the way you are. And he loves me just the way I am. But in sin, we often seek out the things that we can see more than we seek out the presence of God. So what would it look like for you in your situation right now? When you feel like God has left you, when you feel like God has abandoned you, maybe you feel like God is further from you. Maybe you feel like God is not answering you. Maybe you feel like Jesus has led you even to a spiritual dead end. Jesus will use this situation to strip us of the things that keep us far from him so that we can be led into his presence into his glory, into his eternity. Because this pandemic might happen for a year. And that's even terrifying to think about. But God's temple is forever. It's like, would you rather, would you rather suffer for 70 and be in eternity for 700? Or would you rather be in riches for 70? And spend eternity away from God. We see here that Jesus is the only way. He is the truth. He is the revealer. He is the authority. And he is the giver of life. And even when we don't understand... Even when the enemy is very rampant and working for evil, Christ says in this chapter, the prince of the world is coming. Christ speaks out these words hours before he knows he's going to die, guys. Hours before he knows he has to die for the sins of the world. He says, maybe in greater desperation than the disciples themselves, I am the way the truth, and the life. Speaking plainly to his disciples. Do you believe this for your own self? In your current peril, where do you seek your comfort? Let's take some time to pray on this together. I don't know what you guys are going through. I am not God. Oh, um, also, for while we do response and pray, uh, let's just turn on our, our videos if we are able to so that we can worship together. Um, but as we take this time to pray, let's pray about, you know, where, where do you find comfort? What do you think is the way to happiness?
is the way, the truth, and the life in your current situation. And yes, this current situation might be difficult and we might be in fear or pain. But Christ is not just out to relieve you primarily. Christ, Christ is out to set you free for good. And he's willing to do whatever it takes. Do you believe that for yourself? In your current situation of uncertainty, let's just take some time to pray together. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.